Good morning. I'm just going to move that back a bit in case I knock it over because I probably would. Good morning. Now, I've been asked to start the series off after Dad introduced it last week, following Jesus' commandments. Now, I get to have the best one and start with the most important commandment. I don't know why that is. Maybe I'm the most important person. I don't know. (laughs) Just putting it out there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The first thing that comes to mind is, why? Why is that the most important commandment? Why is it so important to love God? Why can't we follow all the other commandments and just try and be good Christians without loving God? But but that deflects from the point of our existence, doesn't it? Because God created us to love him. He created us to have a relationship with us. And so if we do not love God, then we aren't fulfilling the purpose in which we are created. So that answers that question straight off, doesn't it? So let's just all go home. Well done, Mark. Finished on time. (laughs) Kids? (laughs) But I'd sum it up quickly. But the thing is, once you start loving God, it becomes quite risky in a sense that when you start loving God and seeing God for who he is, learning his character, it triggers change. And that's quite scary. And the change goes beyond just ourselves. It has a knock-on effect in the wider world. But we'll come back to that in a little bit. Let's go and have a look at the verse again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, you can't be forced to love someone. It's not possible. You can force someone to act like they love you, but you can't force someone to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And at the same time, you can't be superficial with love. It's an all-or-nothing kind of thing. You can't be like, oh, hi, John. Oh, it's been a while since I've seen you. We should meet up sometime. We should go and get a coffee. Yeah, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it's been so long since I've seen you. Oh, I love John. love that guy. It's fab. You know, I like John, but I don't think I could say I love John with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. For one thing, I think my husband might have an issue with that, but I don't. But I love him as a brother, as a friend, but I don't. And it's the same thing with God. We quite often can do that with God as Christians. Hi, God. Oh, my goodness. Hi, how are you? It's been a while. Oops. You know, how are things? How is everything? How's your son? What, what's his name? Jesus, that's it, Jesus. How's Jesus? <gasps> he died. Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm so sorry. He died. Oh, my goodness, that's awful. I'm so sorry to hear that. What? What? But he, 
Oh, he's raised from the dead three days later. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. But you know what? Now you say it, so Jesus. So Jesus, that. Yeah, but, you know, it's great to catch up, but I've, you know, I've just got to go to work, so I will catch up with you next week. Yeah, I'll give you a call. What's your number again? 01746, Holy Spirit. Yeah, got it. I'll give you a call next week. Love you too, God. Love you too. You know, but that's what we can be like, you know. Quite often, sometimes we do forget he had a son called Jesus that died for us as well, you know. <laughs> or I have other people say, I believe in the baby Jesus. The what? The baby Jesus. The baby Jesus. You're asking a baby to forgive your sins. Now, I have an 18-month-old. I ask him to do things. Doesn't happen. <laughs> Putting shoes on is where we've got to at this point. I certainly wouldn't want to put my, uh, <laughs> all my sins in his capable hands. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. We like to kind of sculpt a type of relationship, a type of loving God. But you can't. It's an all or nothing kind of thing. Either you love God completely or you don't. And that's it. But when we do take the time to really get to know God, to really invest and to dedicate ourselves to him, to love him as he loved us, we start to see how much he does love us and how much he has planned for our lives, how much he has put in our lives and how much he's prepared to invest in us. And when you start to see how deep that goes... You know, it can go one or two ways. Either you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I could ever not love God. Or you can be the other way where you start to feel unworthy and that unworthiness takes over. How can I be loved by such a vast and righteous and holy God? How can, how can I do that? And, and is that fear, that, that fear of guilt and unworthiness takes precedent over us. And it prevents us from loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Because we don't feel like we're worthy enough to invest in that because we might get rejected. But here's the thing. We are not worthy. That is a fact that we can never change. But God loves us in spite of that. And that is so powerful and life-changing that it breaks oppression, it breaks sinful nature, it provides miracles. It's incredible. And that's why we should love God, is because he loves us despite us, and it makes a huge difference. Now, let's break the verse down a bit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So let's have a look at loving God with our hearts. Our heart is where our desire is, our, our kind of gushiness, I like to call it. I'm not a very gushy person, but I have got a bit of gush. <laughs> you know. 
It's where we get that drive to seek out, that to be captivated by. But also, Jesus spoke about this before he died, but now we're looking at this as Christians. When Jesus died and raised from the dead, so we can have that direct connection with God, and we invite Christ to come and live within our hearts. So our hearts have become the home of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to read you a little example of what this is like and how this intimate part of loving God oops, sorry, can be looked at. Now, this is a book, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. I'm quite aware it's a girly book, but I'm a girl, so you have to put up with that. It's talking about a guy who has just become a Christian, and he's done this wonderful illustration of what it was like when he first invited Jesus to come and live in his heart. Now, Jesus came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire in the cold hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness, and he filled the emptiness with his own loving and wonderful fellowship. Munger goes on to tell how he showed Christ around the house of his heart, inviting him to settle here and be perfectly at home. Welcome him room by room. Together they visited the library of his mind, a very small room with very thick walls. They peered into the dining room of his appetites and desire, and they spent a little time in the workshop where his talents and skills were kept, and the rumpus room of certain associations and friendships, activities and amusements. They even poked their heads into the hall closet filled with dead and rotting things he had managed to hoard. As Munger described each room, they reflected my heart as well, but it was his depiction, I can never say that word, depiction of the drawing room that would forever change the way I viewed my time with the Lord. We walked next into the drawing room. This room was rather intimate and comfortable. I liked it. It had a fireplace, overstuffed chairs, a bookcase, sofa, and a quiet atmosphere. He also seemed pleased with it. He said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet, and we can have fellowship together. Well, naturally, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I could not think of anything I'd rather do than have a few minutes apart with Christ in an intimate comradeship. He promised, I will be here every morning early. Meet with me here, and we will start the day together. So morning after morning, I would come down into the drawing room, and he would take the book of the Bible, open it, and we would read together. He would tell me of his riches and unfold to me his truths. There were wonderful hours together. In fact, we called the drawing room the withdrawing room. It was a period where we had our quiet time together. But... Is always a but. But little by little, under the pressure of my responsibilities, 
this time became shortened, and I began to miss a day now and again. I would miss two days in a row, and often more. And I remember one morning, when I was in a hurry, as I passed the drawing room, the door was ajar. Looking in, I saw fire in the fireplace and the Lord sitting there. Blessed Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. Then I was even more ashamed. He had been faithful despite my faithlessness. I asked his forgiveness and he readily forgave me. He said, the trouble with you is this. You have been thinking of the quiet time, of the Bible study and the prayer time as a factor in your own spiritual progress. But you have forgotten that this hour means something to me also. It's quite easy to forget that this is a two-way relationship. We see it as, you know, God's fine, Jesus is fine, and we're just, you know, it's just up to us. It's for us to develop and us to get to this certain level. But we forget that God created us to have a relationship with us to live with us, to grow with us, to see us develop and to talk with us and to share in life and desires and plans and see them grow and develop together. And when our heart, when we love God with all our heart, we need to remember that we are giving and receiving each other's hearts. God wants to give his heart to you as well as to receive our hearts. And when we see that, it makes it less scary. We're not just giving our hearts in love to something that's just a big vastness. It's a, it becomes intimate and small in that sense. But his capabilities and possibilities will always be vast. So, let's have a look at the soul. Now, the soul compared to the heart is a much deeper place. The heart can be swayed, but the soul stands firm. I made that up myself. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> I was very impressed with myself. <laughs> I was like, wow, Stel, you're so deep. I am. <laughs> For a moment. <laughs> the soul was created for an eternal purpose. The soul is eternal. It is not just for this life. So when you love God with all your soul, we're delving more than just this lifetime, but to hopefully follow on in eternity with him. So the soul is the deep place, the deep, true connection. You hear the soul, the, oh, the soul. You hear the term soulmates, while God is our ultimate soulmate. When you connect your soul with God, it's forever. And that's something to remember. And we are designed, as I said earlier, to be with God. We are created to be with him. So our souls crave the spiritual feeding that only God can give it. 
It craves that vast substance, not the worldly stuff. We can fill our souls with like what you'd call like junk food. You know, Mars bars and crisps and stuff like that. It's like filling it up like your body, but it doesn't last long. That energy burns quick, and it's left unsatisfied because all that can satisfy it is the eternal love of God and what that brings with it. Now, in, the, in this book, it, she quotes, Joanna Weaver quotes a guy called Ken Hughes's, and he describes the soul in a way that I thought was really interesting because we see the soul like our body, quite structured, quite rigid. It's like a little, you know, you see in the, those films, you know, the soul comes out and there's a little ball of light, you know, and you think, oh my goodness, that's what our soul's like. It's like somewhere in there, a little ball of flickering light that gives us life. But it's not like that. The soul is spiritual. It's, from the, it's part of the spiritual world. It's not you, when you have a CAT scan and that you can't see your soul, can you? It doesn't go, there's a heart, lungs, liver, soul. You know, it's not like that. You can't see that, can you? It's, it's, it's not within our physical being, as it were. But it is. It's bizarre. I'm not going to try and explain that because that's beyond me. But it, he says, he describes, he says, our, stol, our, soul, our souls, I've said it too many times now, our souls are elastic. They are limitless in the possibility of their capacity. So they're not conformed to our body. They can stretch. They can stretch outward, upward, downward. They can stretch all around. And that means that they are able to absorb and be filled with as much of God as we allow. When we stop seeing our souls as this little compartment within ourselves, God doesn't seem so vast and unattainable because you start to see how we can stretch and grow to receive. In fact, the more we receive from God, the more we can receive because he will keep filling us up and up and up with his love and his knowledge and righteousness and wisdom and abilities and skills and all that. And if we stop seeing our soul when we give our soul to God as something like this, but something that can be this, loving God with all your soul suddenly becomes pretty exciting, pretty big adventure. My goodness, I could, I could be huge, but still look slim. You know, wow. You know, take that, slimming world. I have a big soul, <laughs> but a little bottom. <laughs> now, we move on. <laughs> the mind. The mind, I think, is the trickiest part when it comes to loving God. If your mind is anything like mine, it is full of junk. Junk that moves around my mind constantly. I am one of those people that loves useless facts. I love it. I watch QI and I absorb it all in. Oh, yes. Women in the Edwardian time used to combat topless. That could come in handy at some point. You know, it's silly things that, like that, and I just absorb it all into my mind. 
as well as what that person's doing. Who is they? Are they okay? Are they not okay? What about my... Am I going to have a pension? I don't know. Can I afford it? When will I retire? What will I do? You know, these silly things that just constantly take up my mind. And to be able to give love God with all my mind just seems impossible. I could give you this. This left, this left eye area. That's, that's the left, isn't it? Left eye area. You know, I can't, I haven't got the capacity in my mind to give you all my mind, God. And that's a bit sad, isn't it? I've filled it with so much junk that I don't know if I've got space to love God with all my mind. And for me, yeah, I don't know if this is the same for you, but for me, the biggest challenge that I have, and I think as Christians we face today, is our mobile phones. This, the little, I was going to bring it out, but I forgot. This little device constantly comes with me. And I can see my emails, text messages, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, FaceTime. I'm contactable 24-7 hours a day. In fact, I lie with it next to me, just in case someone dies. You know, it's ridiculous. It takes up all my time and my energy. And I will lose hours sometimes just looking on Facebook. I mean, I don't know half these people anymore. I don't really care. And I'm judging the whole time. <laughs> oh, I like it. You know, I feel sorry for them. That's all she's got. You know what? It's ridiculous. And the amount of dog, I don't care. I don't have a dog. You know, if I still look, oh, well, I'll look through them all because they've put them on there. You know, and it's ridiculous. And it takes up so much of my time. And then I'm trying to spend time with God. I'll, you know, I'm set up, cup of tea, Bible, little notebook. You never know. Not that it happens often <laughs> in the morning. I'm like, Ugh. But, um, you know, and I'll sit and I'm spending time and I'm thinking, yes, God, let's pray. Let's spend some time together. Did he? Hmm? No. No, I'm here, God. Just going to ignore that for a minute. And then my brain goes, someone's died. Someone's died, Sarah, and you're just sat here. You better check it, because you could pray for them. It could be someone you could pray for. Maybe you could send a lovely little Christian text. And you look, and I go, okay, well, look. Oh, no, it's just a, a Pinterest thing. Oh, oh, look at that. Oh, group on. Oh, oh no, no. Oh yeah, oh, look, oh. Yeah, Becky, I'll see you at, for coffee, yeah. That's it. Do that, what was I doing? Oh, I don't know. And then, you know, half an, oh, crumbs, got to get the kids up. You know, and that's it, gone. Easy as that. And it is just so difficult, isn't it? To prioritize. But in Romans 12, 2, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. And I quite like the New Living Translation of this verse. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, 
which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, I read those verses and I think, you know, in my head I think, wow, yes, I love my mind to be transformed. God, transform my mind. And I just think, you know, something's going to happen. It's transformed. You know, and then it was only when I was talking to, to Jesus and the Holy Spirit the other day that they kind of told me actually what it meant and I was a little bit embarrassed about how much of an airhead I was being and that's for my dad right there. Um, It's about self-discipline. Transforming your mind is self-discipline. Discipline your mind to focus on the things of God and when you do you will learn his character and then know his will. And that means, you know, focus on it. Read his word. Read books about his word. Listen to worship music. Write songs. Write raps. Everything you can possibly think of to do with God. Have conversations with people about him. Keep it going. Memorize the verses. Memorize the things so when things go wrong, they can just pop in and recall, chat to Jesus, chat to him as we go along. What do you think? Do you think I should have a latte, muffin? No, you're right, Jesus, not the muffin. You know, it's like that, you know, it's like, you know, you're you're right, bank balance, maybe not the muffin. You know, it's that kind of thing. You know, if we start involving him and focusing, disciplining our mind to not switch the phone off and put it in a drawer, then spend time with God. That's I'm speaking to myself there. You know, put in place things to help discipline our mind so that we can have the space and the capacity to love God with all our minds. And then we will know God's good and pleasing will for us. I'm conscious of time. I'm sorry, I'm going on again. So, strength. To love God with our strength requires action. Action. It's to stand firm in our faith, to choose with our strength. And it's not necessarily talking about physical strength. We're talking about our inner core strength, our inner, not I say core strength, is because I've been told to strengthen my back. Our inner being, the strength of our character, the strength of our will, we're talking about here. Love God with all of your strength. So he was just a lot, you know, God's army. That's what we need to do. And uh, sorry, I'm going a bit mad. I haven't slept very well in over a week, I want you to know. <laughs> Our son's had a chest infection and <laughs> doesn't like to sleep. And this gives us a responsibility. To love God with all our strength, we are responsible for maintaining our strength, our faith, our inner... And that means putting on the armour of God. The spiritual head, shoulders, knees and toes. You know, we are to make sure that we protect our strength so that we can love God fully with it. And that's something that we are responsible for. We have been given the tools and equipment to do it. And we must protect our strength. Because loving God with all our strength requires us to be strong for the weak. To be strong for the needy. 
but also to be strong enough to humble ourselves before God. You all right, Ollie? When things go wrong, to be able to be strong enough to go, I've got it wrong. When we feel weak, to be strong enough to ask for help. When we stumble, to be strong enough to say, I need support, I can't do this, God. And to turn to your fellow brothers and sisters and say, help me, I am not feeling my strength at the moment. And that requires a certain level of strength that we need to invest in. Because if we don't have the strength to humble ourselves before God, how far can we really love him? Not very far, can we? Because if we're just keeping ourselves closed, we can't love God fully with our strength. And as I said, another, you know, loving God with our strength means being strong for the weak. We are com- commanded by Jesus and sent to go out and to be protect the poor, to stand up for the poor, the needy, to stand up against the injustice of this world, to be the strong ones, to be the light in the darkness, and that's part of loving God. But once you've given your heart soul and mind to him, this becomes easier because you start to understand God's character. And when you know God's character, you cannot help but start to see the world as he does. And he is a righteous, holy God, and he cannot stand in righteousness and injustice. And we start to see that And it has a knock-on effect, not just as individuals, as I said. This is how I would come back to what I said at the beginning. It has a knock-on effect. We are affected individually, but that has a wider impact. And you can't help it. It just rolls on. And I'd just like to read... We're nearly finished now. I'd just like to read from this book, Incomparable, Exploring the Character of God. I recommend it if you've not read it. It's really good. Just to show... This illustrates what I'm talking about when it comes to when you know God's character, how this has a knock-on effect. Pandada was 14 when she was taken from her home in Thailand to Malaysia by a sex trafficker. She arrived in a city she had never never been to before, and she was told she had been sold. She was told to have sex with between five and ten clients each night, every night if she was to pay off her debt. If she refused, she would be beaten and would not be allowed to eat. She was allowed to sleep between 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. in a locked and barren room with seven other slave girls and was forbidden from putting her head even out of the window. Helpless and terrified, she sat on her bed Waiting. Imagine having to wait for that at 14. It's getting me all welling up now. 
Thousands of miles away, a group of lawyers and investigators had seen something of the character of God. They had read Amos and the Psalms and Isaiah and encountered the God who championed the cause of orphans and widows and victims. Taking seriously God's anger at injustice and the biblical commandments to set free the oppressed, they set up an organization which, among other things, persecuted child sex traffickers and free sex slaves funded entirely by charitable donations of others who also gained re revelation about God, the God of justice, International Justice Mission was born. Panada never saw her first client. The night she was going to start, a raid was conducted with local police based on an undercover investigation done by IJM. She was set free without ever having to pay or prostitute herself. And 94 other girls were released in the same series of raids. 94 rape victims made in the image of God, who were set free because some lawyers they had never met read their Bibles and discovered something about the character of the living God. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it triggers change in us and in the world. Now, the challenge that we have is what area can we improve on in loving God? Heart, soul, mind, strength. Is there anything that God might bring up that we need to address? in your daily lives? And do you know God's character? And if not, are we going to start disciplining your mind to be transformed so that you can? And do you feel God's character is challenging you to act in your strength in any way? To stand up for victims like Pindada or Gary down the road, I don't know. And these are things that we should be looking at. Are we loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength? And if so, is it having an impact? Because it should be. And if it's not, we're doing something wrong. Thank you.